Welcome to the Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland podcast. This podcast features recordings of academic papers on the history of medicine and medical humanities, which were given to audiences in University College Dublin as part of the Centre Seminar Series. For more information on the series and all of our activities, go to www.ucd.ie forward slash history forward slash body dot htm. Hey, it's a... Uh pleasure to welcome you all here this evening. It's also a pleasure to introduce Harriet Wheelock to the seminar series. Harriet uh, did her, her BA in Trinity College, Dublin, and her archival training here in UCD on the archives course and graduated in 2009. For the last, since March, I think, she's been working um, with the Royal College of Physicians of Ireland on a Welcome Trust funded project uh, where they basically have given funding uh, for the Royal College to uh, archive the material, the wonderfully rich material that they have there. And I think Harriet would agree, as you go through, you keep finding more and more, yeah. <laughs> which is always, I suppose, the challenges for, the, uh, for an archivist in many ways when you're dealing with such a, such a rich archive. So we've asked Harriet to very kindly give a presentation today on the type of material she's finding, I suppose, um, in, that, in, in that collection. Um, so, caring for the history of medicine, the archive of the Royal College of Physicians. So, thank you. Um, okay, so, so Catherine said I'm the archivist in the College of Physicians. So, I'm just going to give you a brief introduction to the archive and also some of the other resources we have for the history of medicine within the college. And then I'm going to look in more detail at the content of the archive, the kind of collections we have, the sort of material we have, and then. I'm going to explain a bit what an archivist does and how they catalogue, and I hope that'll make it easier for you to use the catalogues if you understand how I'm putting them together, because I know from doing history research, you sometimes look at the catalogues and wonder how they ended up that way, why you can't find what you're looking for. So um, the College Heritage Centre was established in 2010, so it was really done when I sort of started. Before that, we'd always used the title of the Dunn's Library, which I think was underselling what we had, because it didn't make it clear there was archival collections as well. So there's four parts that form the Heritage Centre. There's the Dunn's Library, the Archive, there's genealogical research material, and then there's the heritage items. So I'm just going to run quickly through the other three parts before I look at the Archive. Um, The Dunn's Library was founded in 1713 with a bequest of books by Sir Patrick Dunn, who was one of the early fellows and presidents of the college. Um, We don't have a list of his bequests. There were several hundred books were donated. Um, There was no home for the the library before 1800, and the problem with this was that as the library moved around between different people's houses and different locations, quite a lot of the books were lost. So we, don't, we only have one book that we can actually identify as being part of the original bequest. Um, in about 1800, it, the library moved to Patrick Dunn's Hospital, and it stayed there till 1864 when the college built its building on Kildare Street, where they built the purpose-built library there, and it's been there ever since. In the 1960s, the college made the decision to stop collecting Um, recently published medical books and to become a fully historical medical library. The college doesn't actually teach undergraduate medical students, it only does postgraduate medical training, so they felt they didn't need their own library of current medical works. So there's about 30,000 books in the library. About half of them are kept on site in the building and the other half are in store. There's not a problem with seeing the ones in store, we just need slightly longer to to call them up for you. Um, The contents of the library, the sort of central collection is the historical collections. These cover... Medical history works published between the 17th and 19th century. Um, There's about 400-plus different medical journals, so we have complete runs of the standard ones like the Lancet and the Dublin Medical Journal, and then also more specialist journals, particularly from the 19th century. We've got quite big collections of those as well. And there's several specialist collections. 
that were donated to the library. There's the Library of the Irish Cardiac Society. Um, there's Fleetwood Churchill's collections of obstetrical books. So there's lots of different things going on. Um, there's also the, the most re- modern collection is the Irish Medical History Collections. These are just standard, recent medical history books that kind of, I'm sure, are in UCD library as well. Um, the genealogy section. This is actually one of probably the most active bits of the Heritage Centre. We get a lot of genealogical requests, people doing family history, but it's also quite useful for medical history researchers. Um, We have the Kirkpatrick Index. Um, Dr Kirkpatrick was a registrar of the college for about 50 years, from 1900 to about 1950, and he collected anything he could find about any Irish doctor or any doctor with Irish connections. And he kept them all in tiny little brown envelopes, and there's about 10,000 of these envelopes for different Irish doctors. So it is really, really useful if you're interested in a particular doctor. They don't even have to be particularly well-known. He just collected anything he could. Um, we don't have an online index list, but there is a printed index that's available in the reading room, and we can check that for you if there's something you're particularly interested in. We also have medical directories and medical registers, and they're available on the shelves in the reading room, so you can come in and look at those if you're tracing a particular doctor. Um, the heritage items. This is kind of a bit of a mixed collection. There's the things the college has collected over time. There's the collection of portraits of past presidents, there's the furniture that's in number six. There's also silver and glassware that's been presented to the college over time and other presentation items. Probably more interest for the history of medicine, there's a small collection of medical instruments. Um, you see one on the picture there. And there's also what we've called history of medicine items. These are, tend to be awards, prizes, memorabilia from Irish doctors or items from hospital that have been sort of given to the college for them to be preserved. So we have, again, we have, we, they're not online catalogued yet, but there is a, a written list of those if you're interested in seeing them. Um, so let's look in a bit more detail at the archive. The archive has existed since the foundation of the college in 1667. Um, the oldest item we have dates back to that time. It's a grant of arms that was given to the college. Um, as with the library, it didn't have a permanent home until the middle of the 19th century when the building on Kildare Street was built. And this means that a lot of the material, particularly about the college's history, is from the mid-19th century onwards. We don't have a lot of very early material, although some stuff has been later donated, which would date from an early period. Um, and also, once the, li- the archive was established in number six and it had space, people began to realise that it was somewhere they could leave collections, so doctors or hospitals gave stuff to us as well, so we started expanding the collections. And in 2005, um, when number six Kildare Street was done up, a purpose-built archive store was put into the basement of the building, so that's where the archives now. We have the humidity and temperature controls that we need for the material, and there's also mobile shelving, which means there's a lot more space to take in and look after the archives properly. And then in 2009, the college was received a grant from the Wellcome Trust um, for a three-month survey project initially to get an idea of how much material there was in the archive, how long it was going to take to catalogue, and then a 21-month cataloguing project, which is what I'm about halfway through now, to create a full catalogue of everything, hopefully, in the archive, if I have time. So what's in the archive? It is a really good question, and the simple answer is we don't know. (laughs) There's never been a catalogue of the archive, so a lot of the stuff I'm looking at has probably hasn't been looked at since it was put in there. We only really know the big collections. I, you know, I know there's the college papers, I know there's Dunn's Hospital papers, but even saying that, it's not very helpful. What does it mean that I have the papers of the college? And also, just because they're a big collection doesn't always mean they're the most important, so it's, it's not been very helpful in the past. Also, we're finding new material all the time. As I'm cataloguing, I'm finding small item, smaller items or smaller collections that have been put into a big, bigger collection that shouldn't be there. Also, as Robert, the librarian, is cataloguing the books, he's finding that manuscripts 
which are in bound form, are being put into the library, particularly things like case books and manuscript lecture notes, are on the library shelves when they should be in the archive. So they're being brought down and added to the archive, but it means more stuff's turning up all the time. So we don't know what's there. Um, what should be in the archive? <laughs> In 2010, when I started, um, we looked at what the archive held, what were the aims of the college in terms of the archive, and what we wanted to collect. Um, We put together a collection development policy and stated the aim was to preserve the history of the college, the history of medicine, and also medical education in Ireland. So that was our key aim. And we identified eight key areas that we felt we should be collecting material from. So the corporate records of the college, they're fairly obviously central to what we're doing, Hospitals, public health, medical institutions, that sort of record. The records of organisations that support medical and public health organisations. Papers of medical businesses. Personal, professional papers of Irish doctors or doctors with an Irish connection. Um, Papers relating to medical education in Ireland. Papers of Irish medical historians, so their research papers. um, And also papers relating to the social history of medicine, so sort of the patient's experience. Um, It's worth saying now, there's two areas that we're really bad at. We have no records of medical businesses and we have very, very little on the social history of medicine. The archive is really, really corporate in focus because it's the college, so it tends to be the college associations and hospitals. We don't have very many doctor's papers and we don't, we don't have anything sort of from a sort of social history of medicine side, the patient's experience. It's something we're aware of that as a problem, something we're trying to address. So I'm just going to go through the, well, the six of those eight areas that that we have material on and tell you a bit about what we've got and what you might find interesting. Um, the records of the college, they're obviously the biggest single collection in the archive. They date, as I say, from 1667 onwards. They trace the history of the college, its activities, what it's been doing, how it's been involved in medical education, medicine, development of medicine in Ireland. Um, there's a complete set of the college journals which go right back to the foundation of the college so you can see what they've been doing and how the organisation of the college has changed over time. There's a lot of administrative and financial papers, correspondence, accounts, financial statements, which are the, the you know, main papers of the college. Um, the Sir Patrick Dunn's trust estate, uh, Dunn, who established the library in 1713, he left a lot of money in trust, which was managed by the college, um, quite badly managed by the college initially, and there was a various investigations into it, and they was eventually decided that the funds were to go towards setting up Sir Patrick Dunn's hospital and also they part funded the TCD um, School of Medicine so the college was very involved in both of those and there's material in the college archive which relates to both of those two and the association of members it's, it was a I guess a debating a group for the medics that could come together to talk about I guess the key issues of the day there's the records of that there's a lot of visual material which I'm in the process of cataloguing at the moment I didn't realise how much there was um, collections of photographs engravings drawings of doctors, medical buildings, some medical illustrations as well, not so many. Um, And amazingly, they're nearly all labelled, which is great for me. I've catalogued about 500, and I've only got about 20 who I don't know who they are, which is great. Um, It means also they're a lot more useful for people. There's a lot about medical education. It's always been one of the college's key sort of aims is improving medical education, continuing medical education for doctors. It's all about the medical acts in 1858 and 1886, how the college was involved in shaping those, framing those, uh, their negotiations with the GMC, the General Medical Council, for how medical registration would take place in Ireland, and also material relating to what happened with the establishment of the free state, how Irish doctors were to be registered, would 
they have their own system, would they stick with the English system, what the college's views were on this and, and how they interacted with it. I think also within the, the records of the college, there's lots of small pieces which kind of get overlooked, which probably are quite important. Um, I found a whole lot of apothecaries' reports. The college had the power in the 18th and 19th century to investigate apothecary shops in Dublin, see they were allowed to go into them, they could confiscate any drugs that shouldn't be there, were being prescribed in the wrong way, made up in the wrong way. And they were actually labelled as miscellaneous papers of no value, so I don't know why nobody had thrown them out, but when I opened them up, it turned out to be quite important. So they're there. There's a very early register of apothecaries from the 1740s, I think, which is one of the first lists of uh, listing apothecaries in Dublin. So it's things like that which kind of get overlooked in, in the big collection and not something you'd immediately think would be in the, in the college's thing. Um, the main weakness of the college archive is it's been quite bad in recent years at transferring its modern records and that's again something we need to address. So for the, the modern sort of history of medicine when the college has been doing a lot in the last 20 or 30 years, the records haven't as yet made it across into the archive and that's something that we need to address because in 50 years' time, when people want to look at this period, there's nothing there. So it's... Um, in terms of hospitals, we have the records of four big hospitals. Um, the Duns Hospital records is probably the biggest... Um, collection we have and it contains patient records which is a little bit unusual. You probably all know that um, hospital records aren't covered by the National Archives Act so the National Archives aren't required to take them in um, because they're so short of space they're not taking them. A lot of local archives don't always like to take in patient records because there are data protection issues with access and things so hospital records are something that not all archives want to take on. Obviously in something like the College of Physicians we're going to end up with them so we've Got to think of ways to deal with them. I say the Duns is the largest one. It does contain patient re- records. They're mainly registers. There's not very many case notes. There are some, particularly for the maternity department and also the ear, nose, and throat department. They seem to have survived. I don't particularly know why those two. Um, St. Norton's Hospital, there's only admin records and photographs. There's no patient records at all. They were all kept by the HSE when the hospital closed. Um, Westmoreland Lock Hospital, which was the venereal diseases hospital. Again, there's some patient records and some admin records, but only pre-1900. Um, apparently when the hospital was closing down, they'd started burning all their records until one of the fellows of the college stopped them and took what was left. But they'd started with the most recent records, so there's nothing for the 20th century, which is it's a, something we get asked quite a lot because people know, can trace that their ancestors were there. We just don't have anything at all. And we've just taken in the records of the Newcastle Sanatorium, which was the TB um, thing in County Wicklow um, but again there's admin records and there are patient records for that as well um, the first, Duns and St Alton's are both catalogued at the Westmoreland Lock Hospital and Newcastle Sanatorium I haven't catalogued yet you can still access them but it, obviously I've got to make sure that I'm not giving you patient records that are within the last 100 years so there are some issues about that um, the clinical Dublin Clinical Hospitals Committee I found last week, I didn't know we had them I'm not entirely sure what it is yet but I think <laughs> from what I've looked at it was the teaching hospitals, um, it was a sort of committee for them to look at how they were teaching and what they were teaching in the hospitals. It's mainly correspondence and minute books, but as I, it was in with the college material and I, was, I wasn't expecting to find it, so I've put it to one side until I've got a bit more time. But, so I put it on the list, and hopefully no one wants to look at it immediately. Um, the medical organisations, I haven't catalogued any of these, so I can't tell you much of the content beyond these are the ones we have. So there's British Medical Association, the Dublin branch, the Cowpox Institutes, the National Association for the Prevention of Tuberculosis, Dublin Biological Club, uh, Dublin Sanitary Association, 
Medico-Philosophical Society and the Royal Academy of Medicine in Ireland. Um, they range in size. The Royal Academy of Medicine is the biggest. There's probably about 30 boxes. Um, the Cowpox Institute and some of the others would just be one or two boxes. So they're, And as I say, I haven't really looked inside them, so I don't know much about them. But they're there, and if you want to look at them, you can. It's not a problem. I haven't catalogued them yet. And as I say, this is all supposed to be done by the end of this year, so there should be a catalogue. Um, the papers of medics. Again, we don't have a great number of these, and I think part of the reason is that they, if medics are leaving their papers, they tend to leave them to their university. I think Trinity has probably got a lot of the sort of the famous fellows of the college studied at Trinity, and they tended to have left their papers to Trinity rather than to the college. Um, but we do have these three would probably be the biggest one. Dominic Corrigan was the first Catholic president of the college. He was an MP for Dublin. Uh, he was the Queen's physician in Ireland. His knighthood was for his medical services. Uh, he was very involved in medical and educational reforms, so there's quite a lot of, in his papers about that. Um, the 1858 uh, Medical Act, uh, he was the college's representative for that. He went over to London. And there's also some of his fee book, well, the complete set of his fee books and also some of his case books. So um, I was able to show the college's current treasurer that Dominic Corrigan was making a lot of money in the 1850s. He was, I think the year that the college built, um, bought number six, Kildare Street, Corrigan made the same amount of money in his private practice as it cost to buy the building. So he was doing very well. <laughs> Edward Hill was another president of the college. Uh, he was also the librarian. He produced one of the first catalogues of Dunn's Library, and he lectured in Trinity as well. Um, I haven't catalogued his papers, so I'm not, again, entirely sure what's in them. And I think those ones are... They were a purchase collection rather than one that was donated to the college. Uh, Kathleen Lynn, her papers are probably our most used collection at the moment, partly because they're one of the best known. She was a suffragist. She was in the 1916 Rising. Uh, she was the chief medical officer. She was involved in the Civil War, and she founded St. Orton's Hospital. So she covers a lot of sort of areas. Um, we've got a, her diaries from 1916 to 1955, which they're uh, impossible to read. Um, she wrote in... I don't think I've got a picture of them. No, uh, she wrote in very cramped handwriting. She used a lot of abbreviations, and instead of writing um, sort of one page and then on to the next page, she divided it into lines. So that the 1st of May, the first line would be 1916, the 1st of May, the next line is 1917, the 1st of May. Um, I don't quite sure why she kept it like that, but there is a complete transcript, so you don't have to struggle with the originals. We'll be glad to hear. Um, the Papers of Medical Historians... And we've got three collections sort of in this area. Uh, Kirkpatrick, who I mentioned earlier, he was the one who collected all the newspaper cuttings about doctors. He also gave a very large collection of both library and archive material to the college after his death. Um, his collection can be split into sort of two main parts. There's his own collection of medical archives, things he bought, so case books, lecture notes, just anything about medical history that he found interesting himself. And then there's his research notes. So there's his notes for the books and articles that he wrote and then also the material that he collected himself. So some of that would be a lot older than, than his own sort of period of time. Uh, there's Dr. John Fleetwood. That's a collection of his own research notes into medical history. And Dr. O'Brien, he wrote a biography of Dominic Corrigan in 1980, and it's his research notes for that biography that are in there. Most of the research he did in the archive, because we've got Corrigan's papers, so the two fit quite nicely together. So that's kind of a summary of the material that... I have in the archive and that I'm going to be cataloguing. So I want to talk a bit about how I catalogue and what it is that I do and how I'm structuring the catalogue so that hopefully when, if you want to come in and look at something, you can find it more easily in the collections. So the role of the archivist, I catalogue the collections. That's the most basic thing I do. I 
you know, I, I write the catalogues. I provide access to the material through writing the catalogues, through answering inquiries when people say, I'm interested in this, what have you got? And also publicising the collections is really important because if nobody knows what we've got, no one's going to turn up to look at it. Um, I also look after the preservation needs of the material to make sure that they survive so that researchers can continue to use them. It's one of the sort of the key balances, the access versus preservation. Like, there's no point in me holding on to all the archives and not letting anybody look at them. But any time anyone looks at the archive, there's the danger that damage will be caused, not intentionally, just by the use of the materials old. So it's the finding a balance so that the material's not being damaged, but you can still use it. And it's really important in doing that that you work with readers, that you explain to them why they have to look at something in a certain way or why they have to wear gloves or why they have to do this. And mostly they're really understanding and they're quite happy to do that. Um, the college has been very supportive. They're funding preservation and conservation work on some of our more damaged items so that they can be made available and are, will last much longer. So how do I get from the big pile in the corner to the nice neat boxes? It's actually a library. I couldn't find any messy archives because they're obviously all so tidy. Um, rather than library catalogues, which are, I guess, linear, you catalogue one book and then move on to the next one, archive catalogues are hierarchical and that you describe at various levels. So you don't, when you start cataloging, you don't just take the first item out of the box and describe it and then move on to the next one. You look at the collection as a whole to get an idea of what's in there and how it's arranged. You really want to get back to sort of the original order of the collection, how it was originally created. None of the collections I have, they've been moved lots of times. There's no indication of how they were originally structured. So you've, you've got to guess, you've got to sort of work out, you know, you put the reg- patient registers in one place, other things in the place. And things, the, the bigger collections are easier to see the structure in. So you look at the collection as a whole, divide it from the, it is a collection at the top, there's various sections and there's various subsections. When you're describing, you start at the bottom, you describe each item and then you describe all the items together as a section and then back up to the top. So this is just a simplified structure of the Duns Hospital records. So Duns Hospital, that's the collection. Within that there's patient records, there's admin papers and there's visual material. There's more than just that, but there's three examples of that. Within the patient records, you've got registers of patients. You've got a series of accident registers, so they cover sort of the 1920s right up to the 1980s, a continuous series. And then there's individual items. In the example I've taken here, there's a mortuary register. There's just one of those. I don't have a complete set, just one's got through. So that would be, I'd look at it, work at how the structure, and divide it up like that. And then I start writing the records so I'm using a computerised cataloguing programme, which is called CALM. Um, you, the cataloguing is, there's international guidelines, ISAG, as to how archive catalogues should be written. And within ISAG, it specifies seven key elements, and these ones that are highlighted in red. So there's the reference number, that's the number that you need when you call something up. It's a unique number. The title, it's fairly obvious, the title of what it is. The date is to give a, sort of an idea of the dates that are being covered or the date, if it's a single date or it can be a range of dates, and the level where it fits into the hierarchical structure. Am I talking about the whole collection or just one item? Um, the extent, that's really helpful. You need to know if I'm directing you towards one folder, one piece of paper, or 60 boxes. It's going to make a difference how much time you're going to need. Uh, the creator's name, again, is fairly obvious. It's who created the document. And a description to give you an idea of what the material is, or what's in the material. So this is just an example. This is the mortuary register from Dunn's Hospital. This is the filled-in screen. So as you can see, it's got the, the seven key things are filled in. In this case, the description gives you a bit more 
detail about what's in the register. It tells you that it's got the date, the deceased name, their age, the hospital number, which ward, the date of death, were they brought in dead, was a post-mortem carried out, when was the body removed, all those things. So from that, it's telling you a bit more, it's, is the information you want going to be in this register? If you look at that and it's not there, then you don't need to come in and see the record, you know already. Um, the other fields, they're generally not filled in. They might be, if it's very damaged, I'll put something in the physical description box just to say the spine's broken or something like that, but mostly I wouldn't use the majority of the other fields. So all the records, once they're catalogued, they go into our online catalogue, which looks like this. Um, so this is linked in from the website. I'll give you all the, the, um, the web addresses at the end so you've got all the details. This is the main page for the online catalogue. Um, the links on the left uh, about the catalogue, they give you some information on how to search, the sort of things you're going to find in there, um, access to records, which I'll talk about later. On the right-hand side, there's just a What's New gallery. It's just telling you which collections have been put up recently. It's more sort of publicity thing for us. Um, across the top, the, the home... I don't know, it doesn't, just takes you back to this page. The advanced search is what you want to do when you're looking for something. In the image gallery, there aren't... At the moment, we're just doing written descriptions. Most of the records don't have images, but we hope to, to do some digitising later on, and then that's where they go. There's just a few sample images in there at the moment. So there's two ways you can search the catalogue. Uh, there's the general search and then the person's search. So the general search is the larger box at the back. Um, you can search by any text, which will search all the fields. So if there's a keyword you're looking for, a key person, you can put it in there. You can search just the titles, uh, the descriptions, it's just which field you're going to search. Um, the reference number, so if you know what it is, if someone's given you a reference to something, you can, you can search by that. You can search at a level, so if you want to know all the collections we have, you can just say, just search for all the collections and it'll tell you what's in there. Um, there's also the term field at the bottom that's sort of an index an indexing terms that um, come, the software I'm using has UCAT which is a, a UK based cataloguing indexing terms for archives and they, the terms can either be I guess the type of record so the term could be a register it could be a letter, something like that or it could be the content, so the mortuary record might be post-mortems or something like that. It tends to be plurals. It took me quite a long time. I kept not finding the things I wanted when I searched with them, so it's not letter, it's letters. It won't be post-mortem, it's post-mortems. It's just it's useful to know when you're looking for a term. It's going to be the plural of it. Um, the person search, I think it's slightly misleading. It says person name. It's actually corporate names as well, so um, Dunn's Hospital will be in there, University College Dublin will be in there, and individuals' names will be in there as well. And you can search for either, and it'll, if you just put in Patrick, it'll bring you up Patrick Dunn himself and also his hospital. Um, you can search, the code is, there's a, a code assigned to all of them. Uh, you're unlikely to need to search that. Any text, so um, most of the, the names will be constructed to be the person's name, their date range, and then an epithet, which gives some idea of what they did. Obviously, the most common one is physician. If you search for physician, it will bring up all the people I've identified as being physicians, and you'll get quite a lot. But it, you might want to do it like that, I suppose. <laughs> so they're the two ways you can search the catalogue. When you search, you, this is the same mortuary register before. This is what it looks like when you get it back. This is how you'll see the records being brought back to you. Um, at the top, the and circled in red, is the reference number. The reference number, um, there will always be letters at the beginning, and that tells you which collection it's from. It's PDH, so it's Patrick Dunn's Hospital. RCPI is the college one. and just gives you an indication of which collection you're in. And then there'll be a string of numbers which is related to where it is in the collection. If you click on the reference number on any of these and any of the records, it takes you to a hierarchy which shows you where your record is within the rest of the collection, which can be really helpful. So you click on this one. This is the, the structure of the Dunn's Hospital record. 
the mortuary registers highlighted. If you look at that, you can see that next to it, there's post-mortem records, so you might be interested in those. There's medical certificates, causes of death, they might be something you're interested in. You can also, there's, there's also register of patients you might want to see, check back when the patient came in. So it's quite useful to look at the hierarchy. It tells you other records that might be related to what you're looking at. At the bottom of each record that lists the person's names that I've linked it to and also the terms, although I've cut off the terms on this one, which wasn't very sensible. So this one, obviously, the, the person it's linked to is Dunn's Hospital. Uh, if you click on the code next to the name of any of the persons or any of the terms, it'll take you to all the other, peop- all the other records that I've linked to that person or that term. So you click on that, it takes you to the 485 records that are in there that I've tagged as being related to Patrick Dunn's Hospital. You can also see on these ones, the first two records, their reference number starts with DC. They're from Dominic Corrigan's collection, so it searches across collections. It'll tell you all the records anywhere in the archive that are related to Dunn's Hospital. Yeah, this one isn't, so it's... Um, some of the records are closed. As I said earlier, particularly the ones with personal information on, the records are closed. It'll be marked, it'll say on that thing, it'll say closed, and there'll be a date when it's going to be open. There's basically three reasons the records are closed. The college records are closed for 50 years, so the most recent 50 years of college records are closed. Um, all other institutional records are closed for 30 years. This is, would be the hospital records, things like that. Part of the reason is that a lot of the admin records for the hospitals, they would have written to other... to departments within the government, particularly the Department of Health, and their records would be closed for 30 years under the Archives Act, so it seems sensible that we close the records for that period of time as well, just to be on the safe side. Um, Any records which contain personal or medical information are closed for 100 years. This is standard. It's data protection legislation. It's assumed that within 100 years, any person mentioned them will have died. Um, So things like the mortuary register I was just looking at, obviously all the people mentioned that are going to be dead, so it doesn't need to be closed. But a patient register, I can't, you know, you can't guarantee that they would all be dead. So if you want to get access to any of the college records that are closed, um, this can be granted by the Duns Librarian. Uh, The Duns Librarian is a fellow of the college, and it's an elected position. Um, And he sort of oversees the the library, the Heritage Centre, and how much is so. You you write an application to the Duns Librarian if there's something within the last 50 years of the college's history you want to see, and everything will be sort of looked at on a case-by-case basis, whether it's something that we could let you look at. Um, Records that are closed for 100 years, there's two ways that they can be accessed. Um, Next of kin, if you want the records of your grandfather, you know that he was in Duns Hospital, you can say, you need to tell me that, you say what it is you want to know. I will go and look at the records and take that information out for you, because I obviously can't let you look at... If he's in the middle of a register, you can see everyone else's information, so I'll get the information out and give it back to you. The other way is, if you're doing research and you're genuine medical history research, you've, you know, you've, had, you've got your letter from UCD or from Catherine saying that you're genuinely doing research and you're not just nosy, um, then I'll, you can apply to see the records and we'll look at the reasons you want to look at them. If you're doing statistical research or anonymised research, then there's not a problem. If you want to look at you know, how many cases of TB there were in hospital at any one time and are not giving out any personal information, then that's not a problem. We need to get you to sign a form just that you're agreeing to the terms and conditions that you won't release any personal information you find, but there won't be a problem with that, and and access will be granted. So don't panic if whatever it is you're trying to see is closed. Um, The collection lists, as well as the online catalogue, and there are collection lists that can be downloaded from the archive website. These are exactly the same information that's on the online catalogue. It's just in a different format. So if you're interested in one of the collections, like Kathleen Lynn's diaries or St. Norton's Hospital, you can download a PDF file which just lists all the, all the things. It's just a standard catalogue. It's exactly the same information. It's just another way that you can access it. 
Um, so the last thing I was going to talk about is publicity. Like, as I said earlier, the college's archive is probably quite underused because, well, I don't know what's in it, so it's difficult for me to tell people how wonderful it is. So we're trying to, to publicise it, get people more aware of the kind of material we have. So obviously events like this where I turn up and talk to people who might be interested. We were involved in Heritage Day and Archives Awareness campaign this year, and we will be last year, and we will be again this year. Um, I have a Twitter feed. I don't know if any of you follow it. It's very exciting. Um, <laughs> I don't say very much on it. Um, we're working with the Archives and Records Association, which was the Society of Archivists. Um, and they have a website which is encouraging people to use archives. They also have sample documents which we're looking to submit some examples to. And it's also raising awareness within the college, because obviously for us, a lot of our members and fellows of the college, they're interest, interested in the history of their own profession. A lot of them didn't realise, I guess, the wealth of material we have in the archive that they can come in and, and have a look at and, and find out about the history of their own profession. And it's the biggest thing I've been doing is the archive blog, which I hope you will be looking at. It's very exciting. Um, it's the first time I, in my MA for the archives course, I looked at um, Web 2.0 as a way for archivists to engage with users in a different way. And I found, well, I thought that blogging was one of the, the ways that this could be done really effectively. So I thought, having stated all this firmly in my thesis, I ought to put it into practice. So, um, it's one of the first archive blogs in Ireland. It's been done before in the UK and America, but it's just one of the first times um, it's been done here. Basically, what I've been doing as I'm going along, I'm highlighting interesting things that I've found, material that we didn't know that we had, just trying just little bits and pieces so that people can see the range of material there is. Um, they also will update whenever a new collection's finished and catalogued, it'll go up there when they're going to be available on the thing. And also, I've done a section with relevant events. so post up there is obviously my talk today um, a third of the inquiries that I get to access the archive are actually coming from posts I've done on the blog so it has proved to be really effective I don't know if that means we weren't getting many before but we're getting more now um, and just the map at the bottom um, is where all the, all the hits on the blog are coming from so we are getting obviously America the UK and Ireland are the biggest ones but quite a lot also in the middle and far east um, it's partly because the college has a lot of um, it conducts exams in those areas has a lot of members from around the globe, so obviously we've got a, a wider audience. Um, and so those are all the contact details. That's my email address. Um, the Heritage Centre web pages, the online catalogue, it is linked. It's a, not a very snappy address, but there is a link from the Heritage Centre web page to it, and then also the archive blog at the bottom. Thank you very much. So I think you've actually... Sir,